Hi, this is Flita with Women Ministering, a place for women changing the world by sharing God's love. And today I'm doing part four of the six-part series in Psalm 119. And today is called Trust and Obey. And I think you know that as I've done this study in Psalm 119, which was originally just going to be a four-part series, um, it's gotten longer. Went Because when I started, I had no idea of the beauty and truth that were contained in this psalm. And honestly, when reading through the psalms, I had pretty much just kind of skimmed Psalm 119, especially if it was on my daily reading schedule, because it was really long. <laughs> but with this verse-by-verse study, um, I felt like I found a gold mine. So I hope you feel the same way about Psalm 119, and I hope that you aren't just listening, but you're also going to your own version of the Bible and reading this beautiful psalm. Today we start with verses 113 through 120. The Hebrew word is samek, and the title is Trust and Obey. I despise those who can't keep commitments, for I passionately love your revelation light. You're my place of quiet retreat, and your wraparound presence becomes my shield as I wrap myself in your word. Go away, leave me, all you workers of wickedness, for you can't stop me from following every commitment of my, every command of my God. Lord, strengthen my inner being by the promises of your word so that I may live faithful and unashamed for you. Lift me up and I will be safe. Empower me to live every moment in the light of your ways. Lord, you reject those who reject your laws, for they fool no one but themselves. The wicked are thrown away, discarded, and valueless. That's why I will keep loving all of your laws. My body trembles in holy awe of you, leaving me speechless, for I'm frightened of your righteous judgments. So here we see that the psalmist has a few things to say about those who don't trust and obey. And his language is really pretty strong. He despises them. He wants them to go away. He says that they're thrown away, discarded, and valueless. That God has rejected them. But the contrast to that is his love. He passionately loves God's revelation light. And he says that nobody can stop him from following every command of God's. He also asks to be strengthened in his inner being by the promises of the word so that he may live faithful and unashamed. He asks to be lifted up and be safe and to be empowered to live every moment in the light of God's ways. He says his body trembles in holy awe and he is speechless and frightened by God's judgment. So, what, what is he saying here? Is he bragging about himself and just condemning other people? I don't think so. He's probably saying how he felt about it because as we've talked about before, the psalmist was very honest about his feelings with God. And as you know, I've emphasized that we need to be the same way. First, we need to avoid wicked and evil ways like he did. 
I don't know that he hated the people so much as he hated their ways, but he was giving us a pattern to follow to avoid wicked and evil ways. This is someone who's passionately in love with God's revelation light, and it isn't just light, it's revelation light. The word revelation means enlightening, revealing, or making known. To see something, we need light. So as we abide in God's light, he reveals things to us, things that we can only see when we stand in his light. He speaks things to us, shows us pictures, and reveals his nature and will to us. This is where we need to find ourselves each day passionately loving God's revelation light. And the third thing is, he affirms that nobody can stop him from following every command of God. Now that's a bold statement, and yet it's one that we all need to take up in our own prayer affirmations that, God, I will not be stopped. I won't even be stopped by me. I will obey your commands. And if we fail, We start over and we affirm it again, because nothing can separate us from the love of Christ. The psalmist asks to be strengthened in his inner being. That's a wise thing to pray, but how often do we pray it for ourselves? I mean, when I read that, I thought, okay, how, I mean, I've asked for strength to get through a particular thing. I've asked for wisdom in certain situations. But I don't know that I've ever prayed specifically to be strengthened in my inner being. But here, the writer's bold and open, and it kind of seems like there isn't anything he won't ask God for. But what a wonderful way to be. The word says we don't have because we don't ask. And so sometimes it's just because we're asking for the wrong things. But here's something that God would definitely answer. He isn't asking for wealth or power. He's asking for strength so that he can live faithful and unashamed before God and to not stop obeying. No wonder he's so bold. His motives are coming from a pure heart and pure motives. He asks to be lifted up because it seems like he realizes that we can all be dragged down by the world and taking on burdens that don't belong to us. And he wants to be lifted up. Maybe he just wants to be closer to God like we all do. He asked to be empowered to live every moment in the light of God's ways. He's being lifted up out of darkness and into God's glorious light. This man asks boldly for exactly what he wants and what he needs. And guess what? That's also what we need. Verses 121 to 128, the Hebrew word is ayin. I think I'm saying it correctly. It's A-Y-I-N. And the title is, I will follow your ways. Don't leave me to the mercies of those who hate me, for I live to do what is just and fair. Let me hear your promise of blessing over my life, breaking me free from the proud oppressors. As a lovesick lover, I yearn for more of your salvation and for your virtuous promises. Let me feel your tender love, for I am yours. Give me more understanding of your wonderful ways. 
I need more revelation from your word to know more about you, for I'm in love with you. Lord, the time has come for you to break through, for evil men keep breaking your laws. Truly, your message of truth means more to me than a vault filled with the purest gold. Every word you speak, every truth revealed, is always right and beautiful to me, for I hate what is phony or false. He is asking God for some things here. First, he asks not to be left to the mercies of those who hate him. That's something we all ask for. We may use different phrasing to express it, but we don't want to be left to the mercies of people who are maligning us or, you know, hurting us in some way. We want God to protect us from our enemies. Why do we deserve his protection? Well, we don't, but through Jesus, we do. And because we are in him, we can say with the psalmist, I live to do what is just and fair. He asks to hear God's promise of blessing over his life. And you know what? We can never hear that enough. Because of feelings of being unworthy or the negative push of the world, and because of our circumstances, we need this assurance many times. And you know what? God's happy to give it. He wants to reassure us all the time of his great, um, expansive, unending love for him that nothing can separate us from. These promises break us free from our oppressors, just like the psalmist. And when we choose to believe God over everyone and everything else, then we find freedom. He says he is a lovesick lover of God. (laughs) Now that's an intimate statement of his relationship with his God. And I'm sure we've all felt that way at times. There are times when the love of God feels so real, it's almost tangible. And then there's times when we feel like he went to the other side of the universe. He really hasn't, and he never will. And our feelings don't affect God's reality. They only affect us. Instead, we need to just be lovesick lovers. What's he yearning for? He's yearning for salvation and God's promises, exactly the same thing we need. And we need to be reminded of our salvation and the work of Christ, the reality of the Holy Spirit within, and the precious promises of God. He also asks for more revelation from the Word so that he can know more about God. Paul repeated that desire in the New Testament when he said that I may know him. Why does he ask for it? Because he loves God. Why did Paul ask for it? because he loved Jesus. The writer also asks for a breakthrough. In fact, he even tells God, hey, it's time for a breakthrough. Evil evil people keep breaking God's laws, and he wants God to put a stop to it. We ask for the same thing, but we have to leave the outcome in God's hands. Here's a question. Does God's message of truth mean more to us than a vault filled with gold. That's what the writer is saying is true for him, that God's promises to him mean more than wealth. And again, his love for God is above all else. 
Every word God speaks is always right and beautiful. Every truth revealed is always right and beautiful. God's words, his truth, the rightness of all his ways, and the beauty of all of this stands in stark contrast to him for what is phony and false. And he embraces truth, rightness, beauty, and he rejects the false. Verses 129 to 136, the Hebrew word is pay, P-E, and the title is I Long to Obey You. Your marvelous words are living miracles. No wonder I long to obey everything you say. Break open your word within me until revelation light shines out. Those with open hearts are given insight into your plans. I open my mouth and inhale the word of God because I crave the revelation of your commands. Turn your heart to me, Lord, and show me your grace like you do every one of your godly lovers. Prepare before me a path filled with your promises and don't allow even one sin to have dominion over me. Rescue me from the oppression of ungodly men so that I can keep all your precepts. Smile on me, your loving servant. Instruct me on what is right in your eyes. When I witness the rebellious breaking your laws, it makes me weep uncontrollably. Now in this section, the psalmist is extolling God's wonderful words. And at the end, he weeps over those who break God's law, his word. The word of God is so central to its life as is obedience to God's laws. And he makes requests of God again. He spends a lot of time asking God for things. And each request is something that enables him to be pure and obedient. He asks God to break open the word within him. I thought that was an interesting phrase. Break open your word within me. Um, He doesn't want to just receive the outside of something. He wants every part of it. It's like an egg. He wants it broken open so that it floods through him. What an expressive way to ask for the ability to deeply and fully understand, grasp, and live God's word. He wants more of God's revelation light, so much more that it will shine out of him He recognizes that an open heart is going to give insight into God's plans. Then he asks God to turn his heart toward the psalmist and show his great grace. His faith says that this is what God does for all those who love him and who God loves. It would be a frightening thought to have God turn his heart away from us. And instead, the psalmist just asks for more. Turn your heart toward me, God. He asks God to prepare a path for him. Not just any old path. He wants a path that's filled with God's promises. In addition, he wants God to stop all sin from having dominance over him. Here's someone who fully believes in the absolute power of God to do these things. Why would he ask if he didn't believe it could happen? 
Try to picture a beautiful path strewn with God's promises, salvation, mercy, grace, peace. Every step you take is on a bed of God's love and you're trusting him to help you and keep your life pure. Then he asks God to rescue him from the oppression of ungodly men. And his reason for asking this is expressed in the fact that it will allow him to keep God's commandments and also because the evil bring him to tears. And what a beautiful request. It is, he isn't asking to be rescued so that he somehow benefits financially or in power or anything like that. He asks so that he'll be able to keep God's commandments and because the evil brings him to tears. Then God, he asks God to smile on him and instruct him. Can you picture God looking down on you and smiling? There are other scriptures that talk about it. And while it might be hard, because we see all of our faults and sins, God doesn't. He sees us in Jesus and he smiles. He's rejoicing over us. The psalmist can see it and he wants to know what is right in God's eyes, not his own eyes. And that certainly makes God smile. And at each point, um, we could incorporate everything he's asking into our own prayers and proclamations for ourselves and others. Verses 137 to 144, the Hebrew word, I don't know how to pronounce it, it is T-S-A-D-H-E. And the title is, His Word is True. This is a song of praise toward God, um, a praise of his words, his truth, and the psalmist's devotion. And he says, Lord, your judgments reveal your righteousness and your verdicts are always fair. The motive behind your every word is pure and your teachings are remarkably faithful and true. I've been consumed with a furious passion to do what's right, all because of the way my enemies disrespect your laws. All your promises glow with fire. That's why I'm a lover of your word. Even though I'm considered insignificant and despised by the world, I'll never abandon your ways. Your righteousness has no end. It is everlasting and your rules are perfectly fair. Even though my troubles overwhelm me with anguish, I still delight and cherish every message you speak to me. Give me more revelation so that I can live for you, for nothing is more pure and eternal than your truth. Now when I read the Psalms, I'm continually amazed that each person was extolling the law. They obviously saw something in the law that I don't see. The Ten Commandments are a beautiful expression of living in God's loves. And the Jewish laws that were added to the Ten Commandments became these huge, onerous burdens to the people because they set standards of living that no one could live up to. And yet, in all of that, the Old Testament writers saw God's love, righteousness, truth, mercy, and they found hope in it. And that's really remarkable to me when I compare that to what Jesus did and the burden he removed from us. 
I really can't imagine loving the law. And yet the psalmist saw how evil triumphs when mankind disobeys God's word. And so he saw in the law a way to stop evil. It's what kept evil from overtaking mankind. And the writer wasn't just referring to the 613 Jewish laws. The law that's spoken about here is actually the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the Torah. And these were more than just law. They were the expressions of God's character to his people. They contain his promises and his love, along with his judgments. This was the Bible of David's time, and when the psalmist says that he loves God's words and the law, he's talking about a lot more than just the Jewish social standards that I might be thinking about. If you read the first five books of the Bible, you not only learn the history of the Jewish nation, but you also see their interaction with God and hear his instruction and heart from him them. And this is what the psalmist loved. He loved the love of God. In verse 137, the psalmist expressed his view of God's judgments. And it's interesting because rather than seeing them as harsh, he sees them as righteous and fair. And interestingly, he extols God's pure motives as being behind every word he speaks. In turn, God's teachings are then faithful and true. And he also shows a very different motivation for his actions. As he sees the disrespect people have for God's laws, he is consumed with a furious passion to do what's right. So instead of being discouraged by what he sees, he turns it around and uses it as a motivation to a greater passion for his own personal obedience. That's an awesome outlook. In the Passion Translation, the next verse says, All your promises glow with fire. The word fire is really what is used in the Septuagint. The Septuagint is the first translation of the Hebrew Old Testament into Greek, and it was used to help translate the Hebrew Old Testament more accurately. It was used by Jewish rabbis in the Old Testament times, and it's still used today in the Greek church. So saying that God's promises glow with fire paints a picture for us of power. I mean, fire is an amazing force for destruction or for good. And it has warmth, it spreads, it's consuming, there's heat. Hebrews 12.29 says that our God is a consuming fire. And think of all the times in the Old Testament where fire was a symbol of God's power. It's a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Moses and the burning bush, Elijah and the offerings that were consumed by fire are just two examples. And here, the psalmist says that even God's promises glow with fire, causing the writer to be a lover of God's word. So even when he felt insignificant, and maybe even despise, his feelings didn't change. They didn't change his obedience. And we need to do the same thing. Even if we feel insignificant, even if we feel despised, our feelings should not change our obedience. 
even when our troubles overwhelm us, we will still delight in and cherish every word God speaks to us because his righteousness has no end and his rules are perfectly fair. There is nothing more pure and eternal than God's truth, and we need ever-increasing revelation of it. Each section of this psalm talks about a passionate love for God, and it also lifts up and extols his purity and the wonder of him, and we're given instructions and exhortation to grow closer and closer to him. Psalm 119 is like a handbook on having a relationship with our Savior. And I just thank you for listening, and I hope that this study in Psalm 119 brings you revelation and changes your relationship with our Savior and God. And I thank you for listening. Go to womenministering.com, and you can see the resources and all the other blogs that are there. And God bless you, and thank you.